The Excite Center at Drexel University, where creative expression and technology come together. My name is Kristen Bethia, the new communications associate for the Excite Center. In this month's ExciteCast, Adam Rothschild is interviewing Sterling Grimes, an educator, a member of the Fellowship, Black Male Educators for Social Justice, and program leader of ProJJ. In this ExciteCast, there will also be a farewell to the outgoing co-ops of the Excite Center. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I'm sure you're super busy right now. Oh, you know, just planning a national conference. I've got time. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so just some quick background. You are an English teacher at the Mastery Charter School in, on the Pickett campus. You are one of the founding leaders of the Fellowship of Black Male Educators for Social Justice. And you're also the program leader of Pro Protégé, which is one of the uh, programs at the Fellowship. Yeah, so I actually um, just finished teaching um, and went full-time with the fellowship starting oh, in July. So eight years in the classroom, and now I am in the nonprofit sector, but still very much connected to schools, which was really important to me. So I awesome. still get to be around. I'm still coaching my SLAM team there. I'm still running our mentorship program. So That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about the fellowship for a minute. Uh, just Can you give me some background? Yeah. Uh, so we're coming up on three years in October, actually, which is crazy to think. Uh, and honestly... This all started from really random one-off conversations that a lot of us were having um, and unbeknownst to ourselves <laughs> in the same network. And so um, our main founder, Sharif El Mackey, who's a principal at Shoemaker, he had been having some of these conversations with a number of us and said, you know what, let's all get in the same room. And we ended up having dinner just to talk about the education space and the challenges and barriers that we had faced as black men in education. Uh, and originally it was just a space for community. And from that, we realized, you know what, we need to turn this into something a little bit more formal. And so we said, let's bring more people into the space. And so we said, you know what, let's put together something small. Maybe 75 people will show up. It was a rainy night. We were like, oh, man, this is going to be really bad. 150 people show up to this thing. The superintendent is there, Dr. Height speaking and talking about the importance of this issue. The newspaper ends up covering us. And all of a sudden we realize, you know, we've got something huge in our hands and that this is something that needs way, way, way more attention. And so random dinners became monthly official dinners and monthly official dinners became we're going to incorporate as a nonprofit. And from there, we started building out the programming uh, here in Philadelphia. People got word of what we were doing, and it's been a whirlwind ever since. We've been all over the country talking about this work building out our programming here in Philadelphia so that we can start to bring that to scale in other cities uh, because this is a national issue when we think yeah. about black men in education. Only 2% of all teachers nationwide are black men. And so this is something that we know is going to be a, a long fight, but we are in it to win it. So Only 2% mm -hmm. of educators are black male uh, teachers. But what really surprised me was that in Philadelphia, the number is only 4%. Mm -hmm. Living in the land of plenty. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And people are always shocked by that, particularly in cities where you have a, a large minority population. However, the education space continues to create a number of barriers to black men being able to persist in these kinds of careers. Um, surprisingly enough, though, when we look at the data, we find out that education careers are actually some of the most popular choices for black men in undergrad. And so what we're trying to figure out as a part of our work is what are the ways that we can create more access 
early on. So high school, that'd be the protege program that we're building out, college, uh, and then how do we continue to support teachers while they're in these careers early on so that they feel equipped to do this work well and continue to progress through their career space. So you mentioned that uh, education is a very you know popular career path for black men, but the numbers which suggest that there aren't many black male teachers mm-hmm. at all. Why, why is there that disconnect? A couple of things, I think. Well, first, black men experience the same challenges that any teachers face. So number one, can I get a paycheck that allows me to support myself and perhaps a family? And so those kinds of barriers are always you know, first in mind. We're also seeing challenges where we're looking at the space nowadays and equity is not something that everybody's attached onto as common sense, to be quite honest. Um, So what is it like to be one of maybe two or three or perhaps the only black man in a school? And what are the additional barriers and challenges that come with being that kind of person in that space? So often we see that black men are expected to be um, overseers, as as a term that we like to use, um, are expected to be disciplinarians and are not looked at as content experts that are not looked at as pedagogically prepared to support education and preparation for students. They're really there to make sure that students are you know, behaving. Right. And so when the expectation is that you are only here to be in charge of discipline and that that is your purpose, it can be really taxing for someone who wants to do well in schools. You know, I spent eight years in the classroom. I was a great team lead. I've worked really, really hard to reach um, a really strong point in my, my profession. Um, and it was rated very well for my work. Uh, but that was because I had people who invested in me to make me a really strong teacher. And if that support is not there, if people aren't investing in you to ensure that you become a good teacher, you are going to struggle. And when you are struggling by yourself, or when you are struggling in a place that often doesn't understand what it's like to be you, it can be really hard to want to remain in these places. Uh, and so we're thinking about, again, how do we lower those barriers? How do we create a system? How do we create a community so that individuals who are in these spaces feel like they have a support network that allows them to do well? What was it that drew you to education in the first place? So I had zero intention of being a teacher when I started out. So I grew up in Prince George's County right outside of DC and I studied poli-sci in undergrad and I was working for Homeland Security uh, my senior year and my plan was to continue doing that. I was going to do Something along those lines, a public service type career made sense, but more in the government space. And senior year, Teach for America came by and they did what they do for all of the you know, young and up and comers. Hey, you should consider this program. And I said, sure, I'll take the meeting. Why not? Thought no more about it until the day of the deadline. And a friend of mine, she said, you know what? That TFA deadline's coming up. You want to just apply just to have an option? I said, sure, why not? Lo and behold, I got to the end of the year, had made it through the entire process and was accepted. As I'm thinking about what I want to do with my life, I realize I actually really do enjoy working with kids. This could be a great opportunity for the next two to three years to do some really good service for a population I care about, learn some more about myself, and figure out what I actually want to do. Because I realized at that point, you know what, government isn't my passion. It's just something that I enjoy and that I can can be good at. Um, I planned to do this for three years and then figure out what was next. And next thing I knew, it was year eight. And I've, I've loved the work that I've done with students in terms of my content. You know, teaching English has been really cool. Um, but I've also loved building connections, helping students figure out how to be their best selves. Um, I don't have all the answers, but I've worked really hard to make sure that I can connect you with somebody who does. And so my role in my school has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Protégé is this mentorship program uh, where you and I assume other members of the fellowship mm-hmm. uh, recruiting 
black male high schoolers to, and encouraging them to pursue a degree in education. Uh, how did that program get started? Well, as we looked at the pipeline issue, we realized we can't rest on what we have in classrooms right now because that number, as we know, is dismal. And we know that we have to be able to get people interested earlier if they're going to do the work that it takes to be really good at these kinds of careers. And so we said, you know what, let's look earlier and earlier in this pipeline and figure out where we can have more impact. And that's how we started our college exploration in terms of programming. And that's how we got into the high school space. And we realized we have a captive audience where we have black male educators in schools who already have strong relationships with students. That's often the biggest lever that no one thinks to pull. I was never told you should be a teacher. No one ever said to me, this would be great for you. Everyone told me, oh yeah, you're gonna be the first black president. Thanks, Obama. But like, no one ever said, consider this career path, even though I've been working with kids since I was 18. Um, so we said, you know what? Let's go back into the high school space, find those students that we see who have a passion for social justice, because honestly, this is all a social justice issue, uh, who are great at relationship building, who have a knack for a certain content and do a really great job at being able to bring others into that space and tell them, you could be a great teacher. Consider that. And we know we're not going to get every single student that's going to be like, yeah, of course. I don't know why I didn't think of that before. Turn me into a teacher. But if we can start influencing more students at a younger age, that gives them the space to at least explore. And by that, we're going to see those numbers increase because you're going to say, well, why don't I consider education as a major? Or why don't I take a few ed courses and see if this is something that I want to do? And even if you walk out with a degree in biology or a degree in English, you can take that ex expertise and turn that into an education career. You have a number of teacher preparation programs nowadays that are alternative cert. And so you don't have to come out with an education degree in order to become a great teacher. I didn't. Uh, and so we are doing our best now to show our students here are options on the table and these are pathways into education um, more broadly. And so we'd love it for you to be a classroom teacher, but if that's not the space, education is bigger than just classrooms. Become a school leader, become a community partner, work an internship program, a mentorship program. All of these pieces support our kids. And so we want to just do as much as we can to saturate that space early on. When you're talking to these students, are you finding that like a lot of them uh, have considered pursuing uh, a career in education, but have either you know thought of it as like impractical or you know unrealistic, or are are you finding that like a lot of these students who show interest in social justice and um, community building, uh, are you finding that they haven't even really considered a career in education? Most students haven't considered the career. And I think it goes back to the national conversation about teachers. If we look at what's going on in the news, we can see five or six different states where teachers are protesting because they're living on $36,000 a year yeah. trying to feed a family. That's insane. This is literally the profession responsible for building a nation. We are shaping humans and we see how teachers are treated. I can't ever be mad at a student for saying, Grimes, why would I want to do this? And it's also on us, the people in the classrooms, to change the narrative as well, though. Um, you ask most teachers, how are you doing? They're going to say, yeah, I'm tired, I have a ton of papers to grade, and I'm broke. Uh, and I was the same way. I would tell my students all the time, I love you, but I'm going home because I need to sit and not spend any money uh, and, and catch a nap. Uh, and so we have to also be more intentional about the way that we shape our work and start with, you know what? Yes, this work is hard, just like being a doctor is hard, just like being a lawyer is hard. But the rewards make it absolutely worth it in the same way that those professions make it worth it. 
And what we also have to do is start to turn the corner on policy so that we are compensating these professions the same way that we do for those cool lawyers and cool doctors of the world to say, you also shape lives, you also build people. Why don't we honor that? Let's talk about the fellowship. The goals I've seen on the website and in other places as well, you are right now campaigning to triple the number of black male educators in Philadelphia to reach 1,000 by 2025. Yes. Where are you uh, on this journey? We, hmm. So you could look at this number a a couple of different ways, and so that always gets tricky. We are making progress. Uh, We are are not at the goal yet. I will be explicitly clear about that. We We have have, some time. We have some time, and we do have a ways to go. Uh, But we are making progress this year. We just had a meeting with... Uh, the school district and they are reporting that we're seeing numbers increase and so we are watching that and thinking about the ways that we can effectively program to one keep the teachers that we have but two recruit people into this space Um, and so philadelphia has built a number of partnerships between the school district charter networks uh, private schools all who recognize it's a win for philadelphia and for philadelphia's kids if we are bringing these educators into this space no matter what school you go to and so we're trying to make sure that we stay away from the you know, fights about what kinds of schools are best and say, you know what, if we can get really effective black men into these spaces, everybody's ultimately going to win. And so um, we have a lot of work cut out for us, but we are prepared to really engage in that and ensure that Philadelphia is a place where people see education as progressive, see education as a tool for social justice and see it as a career path that is stable, that is going to help develop them and allow them to really live out their passions. Now, uh, something you just mentioned is keeping teachers in the classroom. Uh, and I find that super interesting, you know, uh, as amazing of a goal it is to just bring more black male educators into this into schools. Uh, it's also, I'm sure, a goal of yours to keep the educators you have in in the classroom. Uh, are you finding that teachers are black male educators are uh, leaving education entirely? Are they leaving Philadelphia? Are they pursuing? Um, I guess, parallel careers in education. Mm-hmm. When we look at the attrition rates, we see a couple of things. One, we do see a, a, a sizable portion that leaves the career field. So I'm not teaching. I'm not doing education, period, for a number of reasons. Some, it's just, you know what, I'm pursuing a different passion. Others, this is not for me. I can't do this. Respect. We are also seeing a number of black male educators who are often pushed into leadership very rapidly. And a lot of that goes back to the sort of discipline side that we see. You have the ability to manage students, quote unquote, to oftentimes, you know, dog whistle, police students. And that is what we need in the school. And so we're going to push you into these culture roles, you know, deans, discipline focused uh, positions, and then ultimately perhaps a school leader. And oftentimes that trajectory is done at a pretty accelerated pace. For some people, that's because they are just really that good. For others, though, it's because you have the control, and that's what we desperately, desperately think we need. And so we're going to put you in this position to ensure that kids sit down when we say sit down, are quiet when we say be quiet. And so we are doing our best to ensure that if you are a really good classroom teacher and you like being a really good classroom teacher, we want you to stay a really good classroom teacher and make sure that you're compensated for that. Make sure that you're being provided with professional development to continue to advance your career, um, but that that space should be respected and it should be held sacred. Next month, October 12th through the 14th, it's the second National Black Male Educators Convening Conference. Yes. How is the prep going for that? It's every single day. Yeah. Get up and 
pick up the 85 emails that you put down yesterday and address the 45 more that came in this morning. It's so thrilling to think about the actual product and the experience that we want to build for black male educators. We were just talking about this yesterday. We realized there is no other organization that is highlighting black male educators on a national level. Mm -hmm. And we are super thrilled and we are honored to be in this space to to highlight what black men are doing in education. And so we have teachers, school leaders, community partners, allies who are all coming into Philadelphia for that weekend for professional development, for target panels, to help us build out our professional development series that we're going to be working on, um, to create a stronger community for black men in education, to figure out what are the ways that we can be more effective in our classrooms come Monday, to figure out how do we address policy issues that are systemic in making sure that we increase the number of black men in education. So we are so, so excited to have everyone join us for this weekend. We are looking for a thousand people to be here. Uh, we've got a concert on Friday, all of our programming Saturday and Sunday, and hopefully a nap for me on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at some of the panels and the um, keynote speakers that you have uh, coming in for this, and the list is amazing. Dr. Chris Emden, who uh, is a professor at Columbia University, uh, John B. King, who as uh, the president and CEO of the Education Trust and a former United States uh, Secretary of Education. Uh, what can people expect from attending this convention? Yeah, so our goal is that no matter where you come into the conversation, if you are a student interested in education, if you are currently in a classroom, if you are leading a school, if you are leading a district or a system, if you are a community partner that runs an entrepreneurship program, that you find a space here to further your career path and impact this space. One, two, that you find community of others who are doing this exact same work with you. And three, that you get strategies to continue pushing our issue forward. Um, our understanding of this work is that whether or not you think you are, you are absolutely impacted by this issue. And this space is designed to give you tips, strategies, around how you do your work better, around how you take care of yourself better. So we are thinking about our teachers and our educators as whole people. Uh, but also, what are the ways that we need to push the larger decision-making bodies to create systemic change? And so we are talking to students, we are talking to teachers, we are talking to systems and national leaders. We are talking to women who support black men in education uh, because we can't do anything without the women who do this work alongside us every single day um, and are often, doing more than we even know. Uh, and so we are doing our best to make sure that this is a community experience, that this is a place where everyone has something that they can take away from the weekend. Now, since this is going to be uh, on a national platform, are there any other nonprofits that are doing the work that you're doing or something similar to that at the very least? Oh, absolutely. And it's been great to partner with a lot of these yeah. organizations to figure out the ways that we can support one another's work. So uh, Profound Gentlemen, for example, they're based out of North Carolina and they do uh, cohort-based professional development for classroom teachers. So if I am interested in strengthening my science content knowledge, I can build a cohort and we can work on building that out together. If I want to work on my classroom management, we can do that. And so groups like that have been really critical to us figuring out where to find new partners, figuring out where we can be most supportive of one another. NYC Men Teach up in New York. Um, so they 
who are pushing for the exact same thing in New York City and have built out um, a collaboration between the New York City government and the Department of Education in New York to actually make sure that we are recruiting and retaining black men in education and so um, and men in general in into the ed space and so we are really excited to be able to partner with organizations like these who are having the exact same conversations around the country and it's really fun when we run into each other at different conferences and we're like hey you know old friends that we've been in the struggle with for the last two or three years and start strategizing and so we're actually going to bring them into a space during the conference and say hey what's the next step for all of us we have a collective power that is unmatched right now what do we do with it that's awesome well i mean i wish you all the best uh the the conference sounds like it's going to be amazing i'm sure it's a lot of work for you oh, uh, yeah. before i let you go uh i just wanted to ask one last thing so uh you know when i was doing some background research uh on you and in, on the uh, fellowship, I stumbled across this video, uh, I think it was from 2016, where you and a handful of other uh, educators were asked to respond to a question. And I really loved your response. And I'm wondering if your uh, answer to that has kind of changed or if it's remained the same. So I'll just pose the question to you again. Um, how is life different when there are enough black male educators? So I remember doing that, um, and the, the tagline at the end of it was, it's just better. Yeah. Uh, and so I'll definitely yeah. say that, it's just better, period. Uh, but I'll add to that, uh, I think we see a more just classroom system, we see a more just education system, and we see a more just society when black men are a part of the conversation. And I think this speaks to the larger issue that we've seen in America right now, particularly around social justice, equity, Black Lives Matter, and the battle with all lives, and why just black lives, and the misconception about what that means. And so, you know, the fellowship is at no point saying only black men should be in, in charge of classrooms. That is not our position at all and never will be. What we are saying is that classrooms are stronger when black men are in some of them, that schools are better, that our students are more equipped to handle the world when they see black men as a part of the group of individuals shaping their lives. We see, and research tells us all of this, we see lower uh, levels of suspension for black students. We see less bias. We see better treatment for individuals who look different from us, who live different than we do. And that is what will turn our country around. Uh, we're living in a, an interesting time and we are seeing the results of what happened when our biases get the best of us, when we allow the assumptions and the stereotypes to take over and influence how we act at very, very high levels. This is truly what will change our country. And so the work that we do is about ensuring that black men are a part of that conversation, that we are seen for the value we absolutely do bring to the table, and that everybody recognizes that. Awesome. Uh, Sterling Grimes, thank you so much. Good luck with everything. The uh, Second National Black Male Educators uh, Conference will take place October 12th through the 14th. Uh, good luck preparing for that. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. In this next segment, Adam will be interviewing the previous co-ops of the Excite Center. My name is Emily Kosky. I worked at the Excite Center for three months as a Young Dragons researcher. My major here at Drexel has been mechanical engineering, but I minored in STEM education, which is how I found out about this co-op experience. I worked mainly on the two camps that the Excite Center runs, doing curriculum work and trying to be one-on-one -on -one with the students and making sure that they were engaged and interested but not feeling like they were trapped in a classroom setting so that way maybe they would still be interested in STEAM 
when they're done with the camp and when they go back to school this year. So this was your third co-op, correct? Yes. And you started this summer working with Dragon's Teach, mm-hmm. right? Down, just down the hall in Castle. Um, how prepared do you think you were for coming into the site kind of like midway through the summer? It kind of felt like I was thrown into it. But the good part was that all the star students started at the same time as me. So at least there was a transition period that I wasn't the only brand new person. Right. But being the first, like a brand new co-op was a little weird because you guys, everyone else was all fitting in and knowing what to do already. But I think that it was pretty easy since all the camps were starting at the same time that mm-hmm. I had something to immediately flow into and work on. Yeah, so sure. So it wasn't super, like... Yeah, tense. I mean, I remember you you joined us, like, was it just a couple of weeks before Young Dragons started and, like, at some, you know, your title is Young Dragons uh, Researcher, so you were obviously really involved with those programs. Um, was there anything else about Excite that, you know... Uh, kind of surprised you or seemed really interesting or something that you're considering like working more with in the future it was really great to see all the push towards maker spaces and engaging students at a younger age because I've always been intrigued by that and wanting to do it myself but I don't always have like the means or the ability and stuff like that so seeing it all working here and being done made me really excited to be actually here and it's been such a great opportunity that even though I might have felt nervous at first to start, it definitely like fit really well with what I wanted to do, what my goals are, sure. and stuff like that. Sure. Were there any skills that you felt like you developed over the course of your co-op here? Probably some of my uh, communication skills. Sure. I was able to like work with people who I didn't necessarily work with before, like certain levels of professionals and younger students. I've always worked with high school, so when I was working with middle schoolers, I had to adapt the way I spoke to them and, like, kind of tone down the way I responded because they weren't able to, like, react the way that a high schooler would. All right. Um, Any final thoughts, words of advice? I think this place is a great area to work in, and you will definitely experience things that you've never experienced and never thought you would, but in the best way possible. Hi, Carly. Uh, Thanks for joining me today. What's it like working with the Center for Functional Fabrics? Yeah, um, you're able to meet a lot of people from industry. We're working with engineers and chemists and fashion designers and industrial designers. But with the companies we work with, it's everything from apparel and shoes to automotive. And we're working with hospitals. So it's really diverse, which is very fun. Yeah, it sounds awesome. What would you say to someone who's either entering Excite or the CFF uh, for the first time? Um, I would say just be open to anything. There's a lot going on here and there's so many different things you can get involved with. Even with your own team, you can, there's sometimes projects you don't really know what's going on with, but don't be afraid to go ask someone what they're working on because they'll probably love to share it with you. Awesome. Um, Any closing thoughts? I would just say the more involved you can get with either Excite or the Center for Functional Fabrics, they both have a lot of growth going on, so it's a good place to be kind of hands-on and get involved. I'm Emery Fisher, and I was the Creative Technologist Co-op here at Excite under uh, instruction of Dr. Young Moo Kim and Dr. Brandon Morton in the Met Lab. So this is actually the second time uh, you've been on this podcast. Uh, The first was... All the way back, was it June? 
I want to say it yeah. was early May. Yeah, it was yeah. May, I think, actually. It was it was my first podcast here. Uh, you had you you were working on this project. Well, why don't you tell them about what the project was? Just a like short refresher. Sure. Yeah. Um, so back in May, um, for the past probably like three to four months, I was developing this um, custom system for um, these micro drones that basically I made them more accessible to movement artists, so that they could choreograph their own drones in like whatever patterns and movements they wanted in an easy to use um, graphical user interface. So that was, I mean, back in May. Uh, since then, I you've been working on a lot of different things. You've kind of moved beyond that project. Uh, can you give a quick recap of some of the stuff you've been working on? Sure. So a lot of my summer was consumed by uh, the summer outreach camps, which was um, mostly the Young Dragons, which I'm sure all the avid listeners have heard about in past uh, podcasts, and also um, the SMT camp, the Summer Music Technology Camp. And basically, I prepared curriculum for that, um, helped uh, co-write some uh, chapters of some uh, resource books that were used for that, and then also just um, general like uh, facilitating the students with their projects. And then most recently, I've been working on this um, sound visualization project that I'm going to be looking forward to moving into as the fall term progresses. So you're going to stay uh, with Excite part-time uh, throughout the next term, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Awesome. Um, what are some of the biggest takeaways for you from this summer? From the summer or from this co-op? From this co-op, I mean. Sure, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways that I've noticed just in myself, I got. I think I've gotten a lot better with uh, communicating with people. For like, um, before I came here uh, to Excite as a co-op, I was basically like stuck in my like rat lab, uh, just flying drones late at night alone. And now, like, I was forced to, like, communicate with people every day. And I think that really helps with my communication skills and my interpersonal skills. Gosh, how's it going? It's good, Adam. This is uh, the last day of our co-op here at Excite. How are you feeling? Oh, I'll definitely miss working here. But since I'm uh, part of the incubator program, I'll be back here every once in a while. Probably, like, more than once a week. Yeah, sure. You're you're working on your game, Flink to the Finish, Uh right? Could you tell us a little bit about what that what that game is. So, Fling to the Finish is a cooperative game where you and your friend share a controller and play this game where uh, one of you is controlling a little animal furry ball and the other person is also doing the same thing, but the catch is that you're both connected. So, you're connected in the game, but you're also connected in real life using uh, because of the shared controller concept. Right. And that encourages a lot of uh, cooperation between you and your uh, teammates because there's these obstacles that you have to... Uh, get through but not just a single one of you can do that because you're connected so yeah right right uh there's moments like one two three jump now or yeah yeah uh there's moments like pull me now or things like that so you have to keep talking a lot in that game i remember when uh i played that for the first time um there was a lot of that communication and it was definitely something new for me when playing a game where you have to not only talk about what you're doing but like work with your partner and be like okay we have to you know get ready like you said the mm-hmm. three two one jump is super real yeah. um but let's talk about your co-op your actual uh your job here at the right. excite center mm-hmm. um you are with the entrepreneurial game Good studio idea. uh can you tell me about some of the work you were doing there this summer uh yeah so i was working on my main project here was action which was a game where uh, you are learning about cybersecurity principles using a game like Pokemon Go. 
you walk to these servers uh, in the city, in Center City and University City, um, and you hack those servers using um, these mini games. Uh, each server has can be from level one to level five, and depending on the level, each uh, server has a corresponding number of mini games. Uh, each mini game being a certain type, meaning it teaches you something, some type of security principle. I'm Youngmoo Kim, director of the Excite Center, here with a director's take. This month marks a number of transitions at Drexel and the Excite Center. It's the start of a new academic year, with incoming and returning students diving into classes and activities, hopefully with a renewed energy that springs from the potential of new goals and possibilities. The fall is also the start of a new student co-op cycle, and in this episode we've said farewell to our spring-summer co-ops as they return to classes. At the same time, we welcome our new co-ops, Ben Ledoux with the Entrepreneurial Game Studio, Linford Smith with Digital OnRamps, and Kristen Bethia, Communications Associate and the new producer of this podcast. We've also experienced some staffing changes at the center, so the start of this academic year also represents a transition point for Excite. Transitions are never easy. Like everyone, I find it difficult to adapt when our activities, personnel, and circumstances change. Some of this is planned, such as the transition from our summer packed with K-12 outreach activities, along with an army of summer interns, to a return to focusing on classes and Drexel student programs. It's partially a cyclical thing. The fall is a fresh start, but also a reminder that with some things, like freshman activities and senior design projects, we must go back to square one. Perhaps the most challenging form of transition is a change in personnel, meaning that the knowledge and experience of our new students and staff will be vastly different from those previously in these roles. As much as we try to document processes and learnings from prior phases, there is simply no substitute for experience. On top of the normal student transitions from summer to fall, staff transitions mean that institutional knowledge will likely be lost. And though this feels hard, over the long term, I believe change is a very good thing. One of the biggest traps of the academic calendar is that we are tempted to do the same thing and return to the same habits year after year. But something I learned from performing in music and theater is that you never try to replicate a good performance exactly. That is doomed to fail. The way to sustain good or even great shows is to focus on the present and let each performance emerge in its own way. Similarly, even if last year's academic program was fantastic, this is a new year with different conditions, context, and opportunities. This year will tell its own story, and we must let it evolve in a unique way. That's a really hard thing to internalize, but it's something I am renewing my focus on. One of our core principles at the center is that bringing in new people and perspectives on a regular basis provides a relentless source of creativity. That doesn't mean it won't be frustrating. It means we may take a few steps backwards due to the loss of experience and knowledge, but it also means we are compelled to change and adapt. I'd much rather forge ahead 
then repeat the same motions year after year. Excite is about always moving forward, and transitions ensure that we won't succumb to complacency. If you want to learn more about the Excite Center, follow us on Twitter at Excite Center or email us at excite at drexel.edu. You can also join us for our T3 Lightning Talks every third Thursday at 3. What's a robot's favorite type of salad? One made with ice, board, lettuce. Ha 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 